Hallelujah. It is so good to be back. I've kind of got this uh, baritone voice that I've always prayed for, but when I got it, it's so in contrast to my voice, it sounds bad. But let me tell you, I'm feeling good. This is the first Sunday that I'm privileged to be back after five weeks of being out of the pulpit. And uh, I just want to say appreciation for all the pastor appreciation that I've been given over the last weeks. Um, we had Gwen start out the first week of uh, October and speaking, and then uh, Craig Groshans, Phil Brown, my cousin, came and spoke. Uh, then we had Neil Burum, and uh, Gwen and I were able to get away on a short vacation. Now, why is it a short vacation? Because a vacation is usually never long enough. And then Ronnie Horton, right here at our church, was able to speak last week. We're so privileged as a church to have other speakers speak into our life. You know, uh, Gwen and I, this coming first Sunday of January, will be 32 years with our church. And it, it is it is always uh, just a, a an, an amazing thing when I uh, say that outside of my mouth, because sometimes you forget what God has blessed you with. And again, the confession brings about to your mind what good, you know, the things God has done in your life. So this morning, I begin a new series on talking about walking, again, walking it out of what we believe as believers. You know, we have a pretty good talk as believers in God, the creator of the universe, and I'm going to encourage you to walk it out, walking in your identity of who God says you are. I thought I'd start with something that I think is funny. Well, I have three sons, Luke. <laughs> She's ready to go. I'm ready. Luke, Heath, and Mark, all three sons, get to heaven, and uh, praise God for that from their father. They get to heaven, and they're talking to God. And God says, you know, in a few minutes will be your funeral, and your family will walk in front of your casket. What would you like them, your family, to say about you and your life here on the earth? Luke, being the oldest, went first, and he said, I would like my family to say that I'm a good provider. I provided for them and took care of them. And God says, good, 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 well done. What about you, Heath? He says, well, you know, I would like him, you know, my family, as they pass by, would say I'm a good father and I'm a good husband. And uh, God says, well, that's good. Mark, what would you like your family to say as they pass by your casket and look at you he thought a minute, what would I like them to say? I would like them to say, look, he's moving. <laughs> now, for your knowledge, over five weeks ago, I said that same joke. Now, the reason why I said it, and it's painful, not for you just to hear it, but for me to say it with a look on your face like he's losing it. He already said it. <laughs> painful. Painful for me. But the reason is this. I started thinking about the deja vu that we all experience. Have you ever gone to church and said, I think he's talked on that before. Or I, I think that I've heard that before. I, I think that God has spoken to me on that before. I wonder if God, for this illustration, for this short minute, thinks like me. Do they think I'm crazy and I'm repeating myself over and over and over and don't know it? So as I talk about this short series, three weeks, and we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back after Thanksgiving and go into Christmas with three more weeks, 
But as we talk about this, and as we've talked all year on the subject of that we are blessed, can we just all together get in agreement? And if you're in agreement, we're going to say, I am blessed. And then at the end of that, then I'm going to say, say this, and we're going to say, I'm blessed in order to be a blessing. Okay? So if you're in agreement with that, say, I am blessed. I am blessed. I am blessed to be a blessing. See, the second part was a little bit shy, a little bit more, you know. Let's say it again. I am blessed, I am blessed. To, be to be a blessing. Now, as you walk in that as a Christian, as a believer, things begin to open up. And we're going to be talking about that again in the next few weeks. And I want you to take notes because as sometimes in the past, God has spoken to you and you said, yeah, God, I've, I've already heard that. And God says, it's not a matter if you heard it or not. It's a matter of if you're doing it. Because it's not what you know. It's when the storm is blowing that you know it so that you remember it and you can walk out what you say you believe. The world is around us right now looking at us going, bop, 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 bop. But the day that the storm blows and we stand, they take note to believers and they say, you know what? They're not just talkers. They're not just dreamers. But they actually live out what they do. If you have your Bibles, look at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Look out if you know what that passage is, because here's where we're going. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It says, But you will receive power. when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I want you to focus on that phrase, but you will receive power. A lot of people have at their feet, at their disposal, power to live out this life the life of abundant life to the full, to the overflow, they have the power to live it, but they're not taking advantage of what God has offered them. On Acts chapter 2, in Acts chapter 2, at this time in history, they've been obedient, they've been faithful, they've been waiting on the Holy Spirit as God had promised them. In Acts chapter 2, it says, when the day of Pentecost came. If you're curious and you're putting two plus two together, that's why we're called Pentecostals. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled. Hear this. The Holy Spirit filled them inside. Filled them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as as the Spirit enabled them. After salvation, listen to me, there's nothing more important, and you'll, you'll hear a lot of things that we talk about encouraging and motivating from this platform. And hopefully we're going to get more and more into teaching on discipline and how to do things, not just to be motivated to do them. But at the same time, I want you to understand that you will never hear something more important than the salvation that Jesus Christ came to offer us. 
But there's more. See, there's a lot of people that get to that point and they hear that and that's all they have as the believers. As believers, they just believe in the salvation. But God says there's so much more for us. The question is, do we receive what God has offered us to live a life that sometimes becomes so trying that we want to give up? Let me say this. The blessing that we are blessed with, we are to be a blessing to other people that are around us. When we are able to receive the Holy Spirit into our life that leads us in all truth, as Jesus said he would, understand that sometimes we think of the Spirit of God as not being God. But he is, it's not an it, it's a he. And God, Spirit, lives within us. Paul said to the uh, Ephesians church, if you could just understand with the spirit of wisdom and revelation who you are, that the power that is inside of you is like the power that raised Christ from the dead. That if you would just understand, if you would just be able to walk that out, things would be different for you. So this series, I want us to again realize that after salvation, after realizing that we're people that God has blessed to be a blessing, that we are to share the good news, and it is good news. If you share the news of Jesus Christ by saying, repent, sinner, you're going to die, that's not good news. Turn it back a little bit. For all of us, you're walking with the same team in the same team. Walk in love. But after sharing the good news, understanding for yourself personally, it's walking out that new identity of being alive because you were dead. Now you're alive. You're not dead in your sins. You're alive and you're blessed and you're a blessed follower of God. Again, let me remind you that you're blessed because God loves you. Therefore, you can love your neighbor. John, you just don't know how hard it is to love my neighbor. God says, you don't know how hard it is to love you. (laughs) We are blessed because God has forgiven us, therefore we can forgive other people. Every time that we come to the excuse in our mind that I can't do it, just apply it to yourself. And all of a sudden there should be, A humility that comes and goes, God, thank you so much for blessing me. But being blessed comes from the outside to the inside. God fills us with his Holy Spirit in order for us to walk in agreement of the abundant life that God has come and given us to the overflow. We have more than enough. Pastor, I just, you know, pray that God just gives me enough and maybe enough for my family. You know, that's a false humility. Understand right now that God has blessed you in order to be a blessing. God, if you entrust with me, I will bless other people. Do you know that most people in the richest nation in the history of the world resist the statement, I am blessed? Or here's another one. I am prosperous. When you walk in blessings, as we talk about, there are people that aren't even believers that if you would ask them, can I pray with you about something? 
They're not even believers. They'll say, you could pray for me on my health or, or somebody that I know that needs health. Or, or you know what? I, I'm not a believer, but you can pray with me because I know you believe in my relationships. I have a fight with my mom, my bosses, whatever. And then a lot of times you'll hear them say, I need financial help. You can pray with, those are the three times that in my life I've experienced that people that aren't even believers, but in a, in a Christian world that we live in, in a Christian community, a lot of times those people are somewhat, or what they confess as a believer, and they'll go, yeah, you can pray with me on my health, my finances, my relationships. Understand as believers, until we walk in our identity in those three areas of our life, it's hard for us to believe for somebody else. And God is looking for those people as examples that are saying, you know what, I'm working on those areas of my life because faith without works is James chapter 2 verse 26 says that. And I want to remind you because this sets the framework of what I'm talking about the next few weeks. In the book of James, again, it says this. The very moment you separate body and spirit, you end up with a corpse. This is out of the message, by the way, which is kind of strong. Everybody knows that you look into a casket and the spirit is not there. That is not the person that we've loved, that we've known. And James says, when you separate the body from the spirit, you have a corpse. And it's the same way. Separate faith and works, and you get the same thing, a corpse. So as we walk by faith and not by sight, understand that when you say, I'm believing for something, somebody ought to be able to say, what are you doing in that? What are you doing? This is part of being a believer and walking it out. Have you ever met somebody that says, I'm having faith for something, but they're not doing anything? Let, let me exaggerate a point. I'm, I'm believing to be a doctor. You going to school? No. How old are you? 105. I don't think you're going to be a doctor. What's your works? Are you going to school? Are you sick? So what I'm saying is when we talk about walking out our identity and walking by faith, there is a part that we at our works, our faith by doing. Now listen to this. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 14, God says, or Paul says, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. So that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Again, going back to God saying that the Holy Spirit was going to fall on the face of the earth for the believer to have the Holy Spirit of God inside of him. If you'll stop for a minute and just realize that Moses, leading the children of Israel, he's up on the mountain of Sinai and God says, I'm not going with you because of the disobedience. And Moses says, I'm not going, God, if you're not going. I, I, I got to know that you're going with me because God, that's who we are. We have to have your presence. We have to have you with us. Now listen to me right now. In all love of the people, for 31 years and going on 32 years as a minister, I've tried to encourage and tried to get people to understand that the Holy Spirit living and residing in us is so amazing. That if you're able to answer the phone call, 
if you're able to listen and as he speaks to guide us in all truth, a lot of the problems that we deal with that get us to the point of going, God, I give up. Or at least getting weary to the point of saying, God, I don't know if this is for me. If we would listen to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would bring us through those storms that we've gone through. The title of my message today, if you're writing it down, is this. Someday or day one, you decide. Someday, I'm going to do that. I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit in my life. I'm going to one day, you know, someday in the future, I'm going to decide. Or you can say, today is day one. This is the day that I'm going to walk in the identity of allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to me, not allow the circumstances of the moment to dictate who I am. In Australia and in New Zealand, there's there's a, a thing called the top poppy. And if you've ever heard this, this is just ridiculous. I've heard this in different ways in different countries. But it should not be in the United States, and it should never be at the chapel. It's called the top poppy. A poppy is a flower that grows, and a lot of times you can see a whole field of poppies, flowers. But every once in a while, there's a poppy that stands, so to speak, head and shoulders above all the rest of them. So what they do is they refer a person in Australia that is coming out above the average They've succeeded in business or they have a better marriage or something. And what happens is the people of Australia will a lot of times, they call it cutting down the tall poppy. They begin to criticize that person. They begin to speak into that person's life. They begin to rumor about that person so that that top poppy would come back down to where everybody in the place is. This morning, if you do not walk in your identity, you'll begin to feel awkward because of the voice behind the voice. We talked about that weeks ago. Maybe it's your belief system. As we talked about your belief system, well, out of that will become choices. And out of your choices will put you in experiences that a lot of times, just by beating those choices and putting you in experience, will confirm your belief system. It can be dead wrong. The tall poppy syndrome is a lot of times been the voice in maybe your family, maybe in the people that you went with, that any time that they saw something above average in your life, they would like to speak against. Which leads me to my first sermon in this illustration. That was all introduction, if you're taking note. A lot of times we do not walk in our identity because we're just at the point of exhaustion. Now I'm going to give you uh, a biblical illustration of this. But I want you to remember this right now. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 9 through 10, so so let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. See, a lot of times Christians will do good things and good things, but sometimes they'll just wear them down. 
Especially in a place or community or in a nation that it seems like, let's just cut the top. What are they trying to do helping everybody out? They got a motive. Yeah, it's doing the will of God. But let's not allow ourselves to get fatigued doing good. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop. Did you know John Miller didn't make that up? That's in the Word of God. Can I get an amen from that? Okay, I just needed that little confirmation there. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up or quit. Right now, therefore, every time we get the chance, let us work for the benefit of all, starting with the people closest to us in the community of faith. So let me give you an illustration of this that really has been hitting me, especially during this time of arrest. As we come into the month of November, as we all know that this is a time that people call is the holiday season. It comes into Thanksgiving and you start seeing the Christmas things before Thanksgiving. And sometimes even in October. You can go trick-or-treating in a Santa Santa Claus costume now. Holidays can be so fun. I I love Thanksgiving. I I love Christmas. Some people in my inner circle might be named Gwen that says we spend too much. I'm not saying that. But I love Christmas. But I do know that there's a lot of times that they say the most depressing time of the year is when? Holidays. So as we get into this season and we're talking about walking in our identity, I want us to start with this because it's so doable. It's so fixable. I want you to see the story of the man of Elijah. Elijah is one of those guys in the Bible, in the Old Testament, that you would think maybe never touched the ground. He was so spiritual. He just kind of, you know, hovered six inches off the ground wherever he went. Miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Now, let me show you this. Some of, some people might think he's a 100 years old and he's got a beard down to the ground and he has a flowing robe, whatever. Whatever your take of Elijah is. Here, let me give you some passages of Scripture talking about him of being exhausted, okay? The story is like this in the, the little window of his life that I want to talk about today. Elijah has been born and is the mouthpiece of God. Under Understand this, the mouthpiece of God, which the Holy Spirit resides in all of us. But then in the Old Testament, God put his anointing on a prophet or sometimes a king like David. But the anointing is on a man named Elijah that has just been chosen in a time in history that his king Ahab and his queen Jezebel You don't even have to know a lot about the Bible to know that they're wicked. Just the reputation that follows them, they're wicked royalty. But they're wicked because of their opinions that God is not who he says he is and will do what he says he could do. Now listen to that. Because right now in the community that we live in, we could say the world, we could say the nation, 
But the world that we live in, the community that we live in, speaks against that God is who he says he is and can do what he says he can do. That circumstantial, that voice in your life that says, do you really think that? Was that really for you? Do you think that's really for you? Do you think that's just for the people of the Old Testament, New Testament, whatever? And a lot of times we'll allow someone else's belief system to supersede or play the trump card over the word of God. Ahab and Jezebel's voice is that God is not who he says he is and can do what he says he can do. They even begin to put prophets that are anti-God in place. They were 450, 450 prophets of Baal. There's like 400 also false prophets of Ashner that ate at their table. They were going out and killing the prophets of God. Can you believe that the nation of God that brought them out of slavery into a promised land, they're drinking milk and, you know, dancing with grapes. I had to wake some of the older church members up. These people are now worshiping another God. Elijah comes on the scene and he says, okay, I'm going to pray that there's no rain for three years. He prays and there's no rain for three years. For three years, he goes out of the, out of the limelight. He, he's gone. They can't find him. And then God, again, speaks in his life. I want you to go to the king and tell him that you're going to pray and it's going to rain. Now, here's where the story comes from. For three years, he's been really hiding. But when the voice of God speaks to him, he rises up for the challenge. Watch this. He's doing everything right. He shows up and a man of God says, are you really Elijah? He says, I'm really Elijah. And I want you to go tell the king that I'm going to see him. Now, the king has been looking for him all over the world at this time, all the nations that are surrounding him, even to the place where it says that when the king, King Ahab, would challenge him, is Elijah at your city or at your country? No. Then I want you to swear to me that you don't even know where he's at. I mean, they've been looking for this guy. And the guy that tells him this is Obadiah that says, if, if I tell him and you end up disappearing, it's going to be on my head. He says, I, I, Obadiah, have hidden 50 prophets in one cave and 50 prophets of God in another cave, and I'm supplying them with food and drink. And Elijah goes, you go get him. I'm going to be right here. Now, watch this. Ahab comes and says, hey, troublemaker. And Elijah says, it's not me. It's because of the wickedness of this country led by you and your fathers. He says, what I want you to do, king, is call those 450 false prophets, and we're going to have a match to see who, who is the real God. Now, now, some of you are going back to my joke on deja vu. I know the story. Stick with me mentally. Because chances are, somebody that's shutting down saying, I've already heard this, this is for you. The story is that Elijah calls and says, 
bring those 450 prophets to the mountain of Carmel. And so they come and all the people of Israel, the northern kingdom comes out. Can you picture this on the side of the hill? And, and they have a challenge. What you're going to do, false prophets, you're going to create an altar with one of the bulls. We're going to cut up pieces and you're going to give that to Bel. And I'm going to do this over here to Jehovah. And, but here's the test. The real God is going to call down fire like a lightning bolt and burn up the sacrifice. And the people, not the false prophets of Baal, the people said, so be it, let's do this. Can you imagine if you're a false prophet of Baal? You go, oh no. But apparently not. So they got both altars. I'm going to fast forward to this. Read 1 Kings chapter 18 and 19. The whole life of Elijah and Elisha is amazing. But let me just say this, that they create both of the altars. The false prophets of Baal begin their tactic of calling down fire. Now, some of you have already heard this before, but listen to this. The point I'm making is Elijah, the man of God that has been obedient, that's been doing the things of God, has so much confidence. I love this. We all do, don't we, as believers? That he has so much confidence in who God is. Here's what he does. He goes, What's wrong? I don't see any fire. Maybe your God's asleep. Maybe he's on a trip. Some translation says maybe he's in the bathroom. That's why he's not answering you. 450 against Elijah. How many knows that the confidence that's in this man of God is real? I mean, he's willing to, come on. You're looking at me? You know, one of those things. You want to dance? Okay, come on. And the Bible says he gets his turn, prays, and all the things that he did is just amazing. The details of the story, boom, fire comes from heaven, burns up the sacrifice. He says, seize the 450 anti-voices of God, their opinion, because to start the whole thing out, I left this out. He said, choose today who is the true God, which again, I know that we can apply that to our lives But what I am speaking about today is the confidence of the man of God doing the good thing. You can be doing the good thing and it can be evident of your testimony of what has happened in your past. But we're talking about what is happening right now in your life and what's going to happen tomorrow and next week. So he calls down fire. They seize the false prophets. They kill the false prophets. Now, it still hasn't rained. Now, if you're from Texas, you know how much we need rain. And it goes from small talk to, it looks like it might be rain, to we're going to have a party over at our house tonight because it's going to rain. I mean, you know. But can you imagine three years without rain? So the Bible says that after the match, after they bring the false prophets down and kill them, Elijah looks at the king and says, why don't you go eat? Because there's going to be a rainstorm. Ahab goes and eats. He goes up on the mountain. And being a man of God, an obedient man of God, he begins to do again what God said. It says that he puts his head between his knees. And some people take that as a a tactic that you got to do to pray. The point is, he's praying. 
And seven times he asked his servant, go look and see if you see anything over there by the, the water. And so the servant come back, nothing, nothing. He keeps doing it. He's doing the right thing. He keeps doing it, praying, 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 seven times. And finally the servant comes back and says, there's a little cloud that looks just like a little man's hand over there, just little. Faith is being sure of the things you hope for Certain of the things you do not see. So he he's going, uh-oh. What I'm believing for, for with faith, I see the little bit of manifestation of rain is on the way. He goes down to the king that's probably got a you know turkey leg in his mouth. I don't know. He's eating. He says, you better saddle up your horses, buddy, because it's coming to rain. Get on home. And the Bible says that he saddles up. He gets everything ready in his chariot to head back to Jezreel, the capital of Israel. Now listen to this. The Spirit comes on Elijah. And he says, I think I'm going to run in front of the chariot. And he goes to run in. Now I don't know how old he is. And some people might think, well, let's just say he's in his prime. So let's say he's, I don't know, 58. He runs ahead of the chariot all the way back to the palace. My point is the guy is as strong as a horse. He's doing everything right. He just saw God's hand move. He is celebrating. He's called down fire. He's prayed and it's rained after three years on the time period that he's praying. Come on. He has won the people's heart. It, apparently it looks like he's won the king's heart. But who has any one? The queen. Ooh. Now, now hear me. The ooh is maybe the circumstance in your life. Sometimes it could be your health. Sometimes it could be your finances. Sometimes it could be a relationship. I didn't say your wife. I didn't say your husband. But that ooh, you haven't convinced them yet. And he has a twist. He's expecting that God has proven himself and Jezebel will get on track. The nation's on track. Let's go. But something happens. And it's fear. And then it's worry. Let me tell you, in your life, you can be full of the Holy Spirit leading you, and if you let fear and worry, it's like you choose to unplug and allow the Holy Spirit out of your life. Dream right out of your life. I'm not, I can't do it. Here's what happens. Jezebel, the queen, sends a message. She don't even come herself. She sends a message that says, your new identity is deceased. I'm going to kill you, and if I... I'm. You could read it into the letter that she sends. You're dead. Oh, you're so dead. Your family's dead. You're, yeah, you're going through the list. You're dead. The Bible says that fear comes over this guy. Now listen, we give him all grace because we're there. But he runs for his life. He's afraid. It says he's afraid. It says he's afraid. 
he runs into the wilderness and then he leaves his servant and goes a whole nother day into the wilderness. I wonder, this is just conjecture, but I wonder why he left his servant. My thinking is maybe he's so phobic that he's thinking his servant is going to tell where he is. I don't know, but he leaves his goes another day into the wilderness and then he gets under what is called a broom tree Lays down and says, God, I want to die. Now, I'm not speaking to your future that you're in that place. Because I don't want anybody ever in that place. But if you have been in the place and you've gotten out of that place, or if you're in that place today, you don't wish it on anybody. Depression can sink all over you like a cloud. People that will go through depression can't even get out of bed. And maybe a lighter version of that is they can't wait to get back into bed. They don't like to be around people. This is a guy that said the drought is over. This is a guy that's called down fire. What is going on? Let me just read a quote. 1 Kings 19.3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. He says, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. Then he laid down under the bush and fell asleep. Now watch this. He sleeps and it says that an angel shows up and touches him and says, get up and eat. He looks around, and there by his head is some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He drank and then laid down again. And what did he do when he laid down? He slept again. Some people are thinking, you know where I'm going. You just stick with me, (laughs) because I think you're going to be surprised. Then the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat. The journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. And strengthened by the food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. He slept some more. You got to hear this. Here's a man of God that's doing everything right. And he gets to a place where God says, Why are you here? Hear me. There there is no condemnation here coming from the platform. But when God says, why are you here? This is John Miller's conjecture. God isn't ever surprised to what we do. But it brings it to our mind, hey, You should ask yourself, why am I here? And the only reason is because you have the answer. You've allowed fear and worry to come into your mind. That is not who you are as a believer of God. And I speak over your life now. You're much better than that. Let let me say this. The, The two, I would call the two twin sisters of Satan or sin, is fear and worry. And the only things that I've found out that will combat fear and worry that comes in your life 
is thankfulness and gratitude. Do you, do you know that here is Elijah? And when God says, why are you here? He says, I'm the only one left. They've killed all your prophets. Wait just a minute. The beginning of our sermon here, Obadiah already told him that he, got, he had hid 50 and two different caves, 100 different prophets. But see, now he's so been exhausted. He's so hungry. And now he's, God's been fit. Why are you here? He said, well, they broke down your altars. Wait just a minute. Didn't you build the altar and call down fire on it? He's forgetting what God has done. Therefore, it's hard to be gratitude, have gratitude or thankfulness. And he's allowing that voice, the enemy, to bring fear and worry in his life. This is your future. You're dead. At the right time, we will harvest a good crop if we don't give up and quit. See, here he is. He's thinking, his Satan, I don't know, maybe a friend, maybe it's just, somebody has spoken into his life before that now is confirming what the enemy has spoken over his life in the circumstance. His belief system has changed by calling down fire, by by praying down rain, now it's changed again because he's made a choice that he's dead. That Jezebel can kill him. It is such a contrast that we as believers think, well, he was a prophet of God. Let me say this. And I'm going to do say, say repeat me on this. In James, James, Brother Jesus had Brother James chapter 5, New Testament. Say New Testament. Say New Testament. Everybody's going to realize that James in the New Testament quotes about Elijah. And he says this in chapter 5. Elijah is a man just like you and me. That by faith in praying, prayed that it would not rain for three years, then he prayed again and it rained. So what he is saying is, you and I are just like Elijah in the... the, uh, the power to be able to pray with a powerful prayer. But listen, if we're just like Elijah and can pray a powerful prayer, we're just like Elijah and allow fear and doubt and unbelief to come into our life. We're out of time. But next week we're going to continue in talking about walking in our identity. If you say, what was today's message? I don't remember. I don't know. Remember this face. No, I'm kidding. The point of my message is that when you allow fear and doubt to come into your life, you cease to walk in your identity. When you cease to walk into your identity, not only are you affected, and sometimes depression can come into your life, but you're affected that you're not walking out who you, but the people that are around you are affected because of the ripple effect. How you doing? Not good. You been okay? Just skimming the top. Just trying to get through. Boy, this voice sounds pretty good at that. The, <laughs> the complainer, huh? This is the application that I want you to take with you today. When you're in those places 
when fear, doubt, and unbelief comes in and it begins to speak against your identity of being an alive, blessed follower of Jesus Christ, that you're aware of it, first of all. That your emotions are like the dashboard of your car. I said one time that the check engine light can be an annoyance, can it? Because you know you better get it fixed. I had a teacher that said one of his friends that was a, a PhD doctor said it was so obnoxious, that check engine light, he just put tape right over it. Sometimes we do the same thing. What I'm encouraging you to do today is to take a Sabbath. Now watch this. This is what some of you thought I was saying. You need to take a vacation. I'm not saying that. I know. I know. Well, Pastor, didn't you just take a vacation? What I'm telling you is you need to take a change and rest in God. Now watch this. Physical rest is very important. But sometimes you need a change in like Quinn and I were able, and let me tell you, I'm telling you, I'm blessed to go on a seven-day cruise. That's right, seven days. And if you want to hear some of the details, come on. I had monkeys on me. I had birds on me. I rode, anyway, good, good, do it. Come on. But what I'm telling you today as a follower of Christ, to take a seven-day trip with God. In other words, you just take some I'm going to take off work. You can take work off. But maybe you need to get up a little bit earlier. Maybe you need to stay up a little bit earlier. Maybe you need to turn off the TV. Maybe you don't need to go out to eat and do a little fasting. Maybe you need, but you do something in the power of God and you say for a Sabbath, I'm going to spend more time in this season than typically I do because I am just so tired and I'm wondering what happens if this happens, I'm going to do that. What if they quit? What if that happened? And all that fear and doubt, out. Get it out. And you begin to walk again, and you begin to see the clouds of all that darkness and everything that Jezebel's spirit coming on you. And you say, I'm not doing it. Now, now watch this. In, in just a few minutes, I'm going to, again, bring to your mind the remembrance of what Jesus did for us in taking the Lord's Supper. This goes all hand in hand with this message today. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. If you have the little communion uh, sacraments, which is the the juice and the bread, you might want to already just kind of pre-start the little thing because it is hard sometimes to get up. Let me tell you, at Justin and Christy's wedding, we did communion, and I think that they super glued the lid together because I was like, hey, hey. What you're doing, listen to this. The Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread. This is 1 Corinthians. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Listen, do it in remembrance of Jesus. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Do this so that you're remembering me. What is it that you're doing that's going to do something inside of you remembering what Jesus did for you? What is it going to do? It's going to remind you of the covenant, the agreement that Jesus said is yours. That's why he did it. That's encouraging. That's exciting. You know, God, are you sure? Take the Lord's Supper. Stand on what he said that we can stand on in the covenant, the agreement of the believer. For whenever you eat this bread, that's what we do, and drink this cup, you proclaim the 
the Lord's death until he comes. Remembering the covenant. Remembering you are a blessed person in order to be a blessing. Can, can I tell you something? Can, can you take this? It's remembering who you are so that we can act like you. It's in our behavior. This is who I am. You're just acting like Jesus. Thank you for that comment. That's what I was aiming for. You're just a little Christ-like person. Amen. I'm not going to accept that top poppy syndrome goddamn. That's a compliment to me. I'm going to walk the things that God has out for me. Let me encourage you. Quit saying things like, I've had enough. Quit saying things like, I give up. You might be spiritually tired. It's okay. Thank you. 